0: Welcome to Superintendent Radio Network. I'm Guy Soprano. We're continuing our Tartan Talk series by having a conversation with Kevin Ramsey. Kevin is a principal with Golf Plan, which has executed work in more than 30 countries and on six continents. Kevin is going to bring a global perspective to the podcast. Kevin has recently worked in some places where there isn't much golf, including Uganda and the former Soviet Republic, Of Georgia, Yes, he has some wild stories to tell and he unveiled some of them in this podcast. But before we get going with Kevin, we'd like to thank Better Billy Bunker for supporting this podcast. Better Billy Bunker is not only a giant supporter of the American Society of Golf Course Architects, Better Billy Bunker is a giant supporter of a number of industry efforts, including the work of golf course superintendents. So we're glad to have them on board and we're glad that Kevin was able to take so much time to join us. Well, Kevin, it's great to get you on the podcast. The first thing I want to ask you is: you started with Golf Plan in 1999, and then you became a partner with David Dale in 2006. How fortunate have you been to stay with one firm for that long, especially considering some of the turbulent times the industry experienced during that stretch?
1: Well, first of all, guy, thanks for having me. It's uh, it's fun to talk golf anytime. Um, you know, it's it's I'm very fortunate. Uh, it is a very difficult business to break into. Uh, and as you say, it's had its ups and downs. Uh, so it's a difficult business to sustain. Um, I was fortunate when I came out of school, the Japanese boom was still going. So it was kind of baptism by fire. I was on a plane, I think, to Tokyo within six months and kind of off and running. And Dave and I joke uh, we were with different firms at the time. Dave's always been here at Golf Clan, but I. I was at a different competitor firm and uh you know, eighty hour weeks were sadly more than norm than they were uh this the, the oddity. Uh but now I feel very fortunate uh to have been in the business this long, uh living in California. As crazy as some people feel California is is a beautiful place to live and we've been able to kinda hang our hat here for a number of years. Just uh, the only the only not fortunate thing I would say is that uh, everybody thinks as architects we play golf all the time. But uh, the reality is if, if we wanted to play golf, we should have sold insurance or something. We we don't get out, sadly, as much as we would like to.
0: People think the same thing about uh, golf writers and editors, too, Kevin. So I can kind of relate to getting that question. But, but seriously, <laughs> uh, how wild have the, the last 19 years been for you and the firm? You've worked in some countries where... Golf didn't exist until you, you got there. Just how wild has it been, and how would you characterize it?
1: It has been a wild ride for sure. I um, I'm not sure what other career path I could have chosen that would have you know allowed me to see so many different things, so many countries, uh, experience so many different cultures. Um, it's been uh, it's been pretty crazy. I was just looking the other day, and I've now. As of well, as of today, been to 40 countries, and next week I'll make 41 when I go to Laos for the first time. Um, yeah, you know, I've worked in a lot of Muslim countries. I think it's eight Muslim countries now, um, which is you know, again, totally different. You're you're removed from your comfort zone, and what the U.S. is, we kind of live in a bubble to some extent. So it's been it's been a wild ride. You see a lot of things that you can tell people about, but. Until you actually experience it, it's uh, it's kind of hard to imagine. Um, you know, most of the time we do spend on a plane. i, I got to say there's a lot of times when I'm going to places like uh, India or Uganda, you know, you're your 24 hours' travel to get somewhere. So we do spend our share of that, which isn't so exciting. But um, you get to, to know the ins and outs of every airport pretty well.
0: Kevin, how is golf received in a Muslim country?
1: It depends. Probably on the country. Um, if you think about it, uh, Malaysia, Indonesia, golf has been big there. The big booms there were in the 80s, early 90s, um, and they still have a pretty avid golfing country, uh, culture. You see, the uh, Malaysia has part of the PGA Tour swing coming through there now at the TPC course. Um, so it's it's kind of a staple, I would say, of their sporting culture. Um, other places like Egypt, it's relatively new. I mean, there's been some old clubs over the years. Um, there's some resorts there, um, but it's you know it's it's positive. It's not negative. Tunisia's got uh, a fair bit there that was done in the 70s, 80s uh, that we were involved with quite a bit of that. The newer ones, I would say, are more like your um, you know, Turkey has got the big resort area on the uh, Antalya coast, but now they're spreading out into other areas. Um, but it's well received, it's well regarded. Tur- like Turkish Golf Federation uh, is putting a lot of time and, and money into creating some, some great young golfers. I'm hoping at some point we'll see some of these guys uh, hitting the tour or popping up on the tour a little more often. Um, Azerbaijan, is another one where golf is, is just starting to break in. I think there's a couple courses there now and we've looked at a few things. So, um, it's received well, it's just, uh, it's new and different, uh, for a lot of them. You know, it's coming just like everywhere else. It's something that they're interested in.
0: You recently opened a course in Turkey. Tell our listeners about Samsung golf club and why that was such a significant project.
1: Samsung was, was pretty exciting. I mean, it was, you know, it's funny, this is how things evolve in a lot of these developing countries. They might tell you they want golf, they really don't know what is involved with that. So, this one started out as a kind of a more of an academy, a nine hole uh, with a driving range, a short course. Um, and it was all reclaimed land. And as we got into the planning phase of it, they liked the idea more and more, and they, they gave us more and more land, so then it became a full nine-hole with a driving range, and then as we were building the nine holes, that's when they decided that they wanted to have an 18-hole championship course so that they could have tournaments on, so this had quite the evolution, and the reclamation project was you know 24 hours a day of just trucks coming in, rocks, soil, so on and so on, and you're not getting the best material, but but we had a, a fresh palette of, you know, it was blank, blank canvas to work with. What do we want to do? So as w- the original nine was to be a, a, a Lynx character course, because um, we're sitting right out on the sea, uh, three sides of the project border uh, the Black Sea. And so we, we made this into an 18-hole Lynx-style course where you wander through these they're not sand dunes in this case, but just large mounds. The, the fescue grasses are growing and blowing in the wind there, and um, it's a really neat golf experience. Something they do not have in Turkey. Uh, it's very new to them. The Turkish Golf Federation has moved their headquarters there now, and this is where they're based and their teams play out of. And uh, it's a big sporting culture in this little little town of Samsung's About a million people, and they have just about every sporting facility you can imagine all done by the municipalities is the first city golf course created in turkey and uh one of the first actually for any of our
0: international
1: clients um it's just something that that hasn't taken hold yet like we have in the u.s so that in itself is, is a pretty neat accomplishment that it's this public golf course uh, for the people but built right on the sea and it was created from scratch. So it was, it was a fun project. Um, it had its challenges, of course, with you know dealing with those kind of changes, but, uh, but but a great project in the end.
0: What's the first step when you're trying to do a project in a city or country that doesn't have much golf or any golf at all? How, how do you start that process where golf is such a foreign concept?
1: It's very challenging and you become more of an educator than you do an architect uh, in this case you know at least with Turkey the Turkish Golf Federation was involved so there was an understanding of what golf was and what they were looking for but the municipality on the other hand had no idea uh, this was really a new a new path for them a new venture um, and they were relying on us to guide them in what would be uh, the best way to accomplish their goals and of course their goals kind of kept changing but um, So you're, you know, you're starting to educate people on just the basics of the game of golf. What's a tee? What's a green? What's a bunker? Why, why do you have these things? Um, and then what you want to talk to them about or what we try to talk to them about is really getting into more of the strategy or options on the golf course, the thinking side of it, the shot values. But that's a process. And when you're starting out with a group that, that is that basic, You can't really get to all that. They're relying on you to bring that. They just don't know it yet. As time goes on, those kind of things come out, hopefully on the golf course where people see these nuances and things that we we get excited about designing into it. But some of the owners and clients don't really know or understand it until later on as they become more knowledgeable about it. But it's it's definitely an education process that uh, we feel like we're more teachers at times.
0: If if the developer or client or owner doesn't know much about golf or hasn't seen much golf, then surely the people doing the physical labor on the golf course probably haven't been exposed to it at all. What is it like educating the labor to kind of see the vision that you have for the final product?
1: You're absolutely spot on with that. The the labor, um, maybe they've built some roads, maybe they've built building pads, but they have no idea what a golf course is and why we don't want straight lines on things because everybody likes to do straight lines, but on a golf course, it's the last thing you want and we don't want perfectly level or perfectly flat spots. So um, it requires a good hierarchy of uh, a good project team uh, starting from the management. Uh, In the case of Samsung, it was a Turkish uh, project manager who has built uh, or managed the construction of a number of courses in Turkey and actually a little bit outside of Turkey as well. Um, so they have a good understanding of how to get it done. Um, it's then that, that link between them and the local labor and having good on-the-ground guys teaching and showing these guys. I mean, there's times I'll jump into a bunker or Dave will jump into a bunker and show them on the shapes of what we're looking for uh, or, you know, little things about why something's not draining properly and show them how to get it the way we want it or what it needs to be um but you have to actually physically show them in a lot of cases otherwise something will get lost in translation even if the management team is speaking the same language what we're trying to convey can get lost in that translation so um, a lot of hands-on we typically will put you know a couple of expat guys on there um we call them shapers uh sometimes it's, uh, some finishers Uh, just depends on what's needed and these guys come from all over sometimes the u.s sometimes south uh, africa where there's a good golf culture Uh, europe just depends and uh and that link also helps bring some of that expertise because they'll take some of these guys under their wing and really work with them because they want them to succeed and do well in this and maybe move on to the next project so there's kind of this learning curve with some of these jobs you're creating, which is, is kind of cool to see.
0: Finding labor is a giant challenge in the North America golf industry and golf construction side of the industry. What is it like in some of these other countries? Is it tough to find people to build these golf courses, or is it easier than it would be in the United States?
1: Uh, you know, I'm sure it's easier to find bodies or people to do it, but people with any... you know. Understanding of it, no, it's very difficult, obviously. Um, But what you get, you know, in the U.S., you you deal with your unions and things uh, in some places for labor. But in places like India, we're actually dealing with more like a village leader or a tribal leader in Africa that his job is to find work for his people. So he will negotiate with the owner to bring in 50 laborers. So it's his responsibility each day to have 50 laborers. Might not be the same labor as you had the day before. So there's this kind of revolving door of you've got people, but you don't, you try to keep the good ones there and keep them coming back, but you, there's no guarantee you'll have the same team day in and day out, which is a, a bizarre concept because, you know, in the U.S., construction is very methodical, it's very sequenced, it's very, you know, been doing this a long time. It's a well oiled machine. Um, these other places, it's it's the. <laughs> not just the oil that's leaking, it's everything else, because you can't, You just have no consistency. Um, but what I like to see is that when we're on the ground there, there's usually, you know, you might have hundreds of laborers on some of these courses, because a lot of the work will be done by hand. I mean, we actually have pictures of people moving dirt with baskets. Um, it, it's it's kind of bizarre, but when they can put 100 people around a green site, to do the finish work that they're being directed to do. They'd rather do that than bring in excavators and things like that. So it does create a lot of jobs. And when out of that 100, maybe you get 10 or 15 that are really good workers that want to do more. And all of a sudden, when the golf course is done, these are the people you bring into the maintenance crew because they have a sense of what they've been working on. And now they're trained in kind of what golf is. Now they're going to get taught how to mow the grass, how to fertilize, uh, how to spray, you know, rake bunkers, so on and so on. So there's this kind of evolving career path for some of them, which is pretty cool to see when you you think that, you know, golf can contribute to the, you know, the social aspect of it. A working uh, group of people like that, it's, it's pretty neat. It's not just about building the golf. There's a bigger picture there as well.
0: How much patience do you have to have when you're working in some of these markets, especially in some of the more volatile regions?
1: Well, uh, you know, again, like some of the other questions, it does, it does vary depending on the country. Um, but in general, the rule is you have to have a tremendous amount of patience. You, you get some clients that they mean well, they, they want golf, but they don't care about anything but schedule or budget. And so as an architect, where we're looking at quality, and integrity how do we achieve that and some of those things aren't always the schedules aren't always real or the budgets aren't always real we try to educate them the, as best we can on that um you get some people that they think of golf as just green grass it's just simple and get the grass growing and therefore i can sell my houses faster so the patience on those is tough because it's it's hard to break that um mentality or that that thought process that that's their overriding thing. Uh, other groups where, you know, in, uh, we were working in Georgia, um, it was a very uh, well-educated group of people as the management team, and they are hungry for information. I mean, they wouldn't necessarily take our word for something. They would, they would ask a lot of questions about it, which was fine. I, I have no problem with questions. It's great. That means they're paying attention. They're interested. They want to know why. And then they're okay, okay, we'll, we'll spend the money and we'll do that. So, you know, it's a, it's a varying thing depending on where we are and who we're dealing with. Um, for the most part, people are, are wanting to do the right thing. They're eager to, you know, every, everybody wants the best. It's just whether or not they have everything in place to do it that way. And we try to guide them as best we can to do that. But it's tough sometimes. You, you, you'll be dealing with a client and, You know, here we've been doing this for for 30 years or close to that, and they've seen and experienced a lot of different things in a lot of different places. And you'll get somebody who's played golf for two years, he and his buddy, and uh, he'll bring his buddy in. His, His buddy's gone to Thailand or somewhere and played golf there before, so now he's the golf expert. So he starts being the one who critiques the plan with very little knowledge. And those are the ones where you kind of have to take a step back, take a deep breath, and figure out how you're going to bring them around, understanding the strategy and the, the nuances of the design that they may never have experienced or thought of ever. Um, and in some cases, you, you, you try to you, know, my, you check your ego at the door, and, and you let them feel like it's their idea, but you try to bring them around to doing the right thing who doesn't matter whose idea it is and uh, that does take uh, a lot of patience Um, and things just move a lot slower you can't be like um, you can't be like in the U.S. where a construction schedule is 12 months or something I had a project in India it took us five years to build nine holes and I had another um, We had a project in Italy that took 10 years to get to a point where we we were done with all the permitting and whatnot so um patience is, is a virtue, they say, right? So it's, it's definitely a big part of the business.
0: And that kind of leads to the project specifically I wanted to ask you about. You recently unveiled an 18-hole course at Lake Victoria Serena Golf Resort and Spa. That course is in Uganda. A, how did you find a project in Uganda? And B, tell our listeners how much patience you had to pull this one off.
1: It was was funny. you know. This is one of those neat stories that uh, we were always pretty active in getting a website early on and and kind of, as time goes on, trying to keep that updated and whatnot. And this gentleman actually found us. uh, It was on a contact page of our website. And I responded and we got chatting back and forth and got a proposal to him. And all of a sudden we were signed up and off we went to Uganda. It was that crazy of how it Kind of came about. Um, he's actually, his company is a construction company in Kampala, a capital there of, of Uganda. And he, um, he's of Indian descent. And his family, he's always never lived in India, but grew up in Kenya. And uh, the business moved to, they have a big office in Kenya, but moved a portion of it over to uh, Kampala. And he's overseen that for years. And so he was US educated, uh, actually here in the Bay Area. So we, we had a lot to talk about, and uh, but, but the first visit there, this project took over 10 years, from the time we had contact to the time we just finished and opened the, the 18 holes recently. And in the beginning, it was a bit like the Wild West. Um, you could go into the city, which took, took forever because the roads were so bad. Um, you'd see people, uh, you know, group of guys in the back of a pickup with AK-47s, Kind of wondering in the back of your mind where they might be going. Uh, as long as it wasn't to uh, your hotel or, or whatever, it was fine. But it was you know, it was a little surreal that way. Um, there's been a number of uh, other incidents in that area, bomb threats and whatnot, because there is a, an active uh, or there was an active terrorist group uh, coming out of the north. That uh, so th- there was all these little what ifs of Are we doing the right thing? Should we be doing this? Um, but in the end, now, you know, 10 years later, they've built uh, highways from the airport all the way to the city. Traffic isn't nearly what it used to be. Um, the roads are much better. Um, one one time they had said, uh, I flew in in the middle of the night, I think on my first visit, it was 3 in the morning or something like that, and they told me the next day to never do that again because it's not really that safe in the middle of the night getting to the hotel where it was because you had to take these little side roads, and occasionally there would be bandits that would block the road and block you until you paid the extortion toll fee that they were asking and it never happened to me which was fine after that first visit i i came in middle of the day every time and uh no no questions asked but i was joking with the owner about that during this during the opening and he said it's it's changed so much since then that that doesn't exist anymore and you know, the U.N. is headquartered there in Entebbe. They have a huge presence. So when you come into the airport, you actually see a lot of expats uh, roaming around, and they're usually to do with one of the aid groups or the U.N. Um, so it's got a whole different feeling now. It's definitely much more modern than it was. Um, but, you know, the challenges, again, of building a golf course on the shores of Lake Victoria, which ended up being part of it was papyrus swamp that you would dig down, five or six meters, and you wouldn't get to real soil. It was all just organic muck that then had to be removed and replaced with proper fill so you could get a stable foundation to build a golf hole on. And that was just part of the site. Um, We were dealing with older equipment, uh, tremendous amount of hand labor, no knowledge of golf. Um, The timetable of I think the first nine took close to seven years. So, you know, it was kind of painfully slow. Um, just due to a learning curve, and I think you know, there's all sorts of factors that we're not even aware of of why it, why it took longer. Of course, the second phase, second night holes, took about two years, and then they grew it in. Um, but now it's, you know, what was really rewarding about it is, is showing up for the opening. They had a professional event with 35 uh, local pros and a couple from South Africa and Kenya. And then the next uh, day, they had a. Uh, that was like a three-day tournament. Then they had a pro-am. Uh, we had over 200 people there for the opening of that course, and these people were so excited. Um, there's two courses there locally that are pretty basic, built by the militaries uh, years ago, and they're in pretty rough condition. And this this golf course it's being maintained by a group of uh, guys from South Africa is as good as you will find uh, maintenance-wise in South Africa or, you know, any of these developed countries. The the fairways were were tight. The rough was was solid. The greens were rolling at probably 11. uh, And they're bent grass, which is very unusual for the area. But because we're on the lake there, we get a nice steady breeze. So even with a little humidity, it's not an issue. So they were really getting to experience something that they never could imagine experiencing before, that they would have had to travel many hours to go see. So seeing that excitement level, um, the caddies were excited to have these jobs. Uh, They were really trying hard to learn the game. Uh, The the girl that was my caddy actually had, uh, she was playing now and she wanted to grow up to become a golfer. And she was very excited about it. And to see that, and then afterwards, after the round, all these guys hanging out, uh, you know, having a beverage, talking about their round and what hole they liked, and all the different things about the golf course. Um, that was that was pretty pretty cool, pretty rewarding. Um, just neat to see. It was nice. Ten years is a long time, and uh, I got to say, in the end, though, it really it really turned out well. They've got something. I keep telling people it's very special. You would never imagine it's in the center of Africa, and. Um, I hope more and more people get to see it. Uh, I, I, You know, there's other things in Uganda to see. The gorillas aren't too far away, and the headwaters to the Nile. It, uh, is, you know, Lake Victoria is the start of the Nile River, so Jinja is where that begins. Uh, that's about an hour drive. So um, neat place, lots to see, good people, good food, um, but lots of challenges. I hope they do more golf. I just hope it doesn't take 10 years.
0: Okay, we're going to keep jumping all over the the world. I think we're going to make a lot of our listeners dizzy, but you also recently opened a course in the former Soviet Republic of Georgia. Explain that project, and how does that compare to working in some of the other parts of the world where you've worked?
1: Georgia was uh, interesting for all sorts of different reasons than Uganda. You know, it's uh, it's an old former Soviet Republic. Uh, When you arrive there, you feel very welcomed um my first trip it was funny they uh i went to the the passport cutter and as i handed her my passport she stamped it and handed me back a little bottle of wine i've never ever had that happen anywhere in the world where the passport people gave me something but uh it's uh they're proud of their culture uh everybody speaks russian and georgian for the most part younger generation will speak uh english as well as the other two uh but the site was very different this is um Literally a 10-minute drive from the center of the city, 15 minutes max with a little traffic, and you're up on top of a ridge looking out down to the city, the river below, and the entire valley. It's some of the, the most panoramic views I've, I've ever had on a site. The challenge was, as we walked the site, and, uh, you know, there's a few wild pigs out there, things like that, but you notice that the pine trees were pretty stunted. They're pretty thick trunk, but not very tall which is a great sign that there's probably some rock below. And as we got into this more and more with some test holes, we realized that it's a very, very rocky site. We had about a half a meter of topsoil. After that, it was rock. So we did do nine holes in uh, just under two years, but there was a lot of, a lot of uh, hammering rock and uh, a ripping rock to get this one done, and we had to import to get the topsoil uh, or the sand capping the way we needed it. There just was not enough existing soil on site to do it. So the, those were different challenges that we hadn't faced on, on the you know, Uganda job. But in the end, we've got this, this great it's a nine-hole course. Um, no room to do another nine. They only have the nine holes, and they're building a, a five-star hotel. Um, and the golf just kind of wanders down this ridge and back up this ridge, but the views, every hole... Has a view slightly different of this panoramic valley in the city below. Uh, it, it's it's captivating. It's distracting. Um, but we did everything we could to save every pine tree possible because in that kind of condition, the, the trees aren't going to grow fast. So whatever we take out, it's going to take years to replace. So we really tried to have a soft footprint on the site and keep. I wouldn't say it's minimalist, but it's getting there. Um, where we really had a soft hand on it, um, and it's just a it 's a great project there there 's a gondola that goes from the center city up to one of the ridges. Well, that gondola is now being connected from that ridge onto our right right into our hotel clubhouse, so that from the city center you 'll be able to hop on a gondola and come up, have lunch, play nine, whatever you want to do, and, and head on back to the city without ever having to get in your car. Which I, it's a first for me as well. Um, something that we, we haven't had a gondola on a golf course that I'm aware of. So, um, cool cool place. But again, another learning curve. You know, these these Russian operators of the equipment were used to. Uh, I shouldn't say Russian, but some of them are Russian. Some are Georgian. Um, they're just used to building roads, putting in gas lines, uh, basic construction. So golf was challenging, and there was a little bit of a language issue. Uh, trying to to get it so they understood uh, what they were trying to do. But in the end, you know, like everybody, they, they got better. They got uh, more familiar with what we were trying to do. So as the project went on, it picked up momentum and uh, got a little easier. And then we've got a, a guy in there now who's taking care of it. He's from the U.K., and he's excited, and it's, it's all cool season grasses. So he's right in his uh, – you know, right in his wheelhouse for taking care of it. And it's still growing in. Um, I would say we'll open that one probably late spring of next year would be my best guess.
0: You talk about visiting places like Uganda, the Republic of Georgia, and Turkey like it's normal. When did you realize that you were doing something unique and that golf course architecture was going to take you down this global path?
1: It's funny. Um, It is is kind of like second nature. I mean, my, my daughter just She's always telling her friends, oh, dad's gone, and oh, where is he? And she tells them, and they stand there like they can't believe I'm in these weird places. But my daughter, it's just its normal. It's what I've been doing her entire life. Um, And I I guess I don't think too much about it now as well. Beginning coming out of school, I just wanted in. I wanted to get in the business. Um, People ask me why I didn't go work for one of the big signature names or golf pros, and I had an opportunity with another firm that was, was busy, kind of like Golf Plan. Actually, was a competitor. And I, I always felt that I'd get more chances or more opportunities working for a company like that rather than a signature, proname, um, whatnot. And uh, it just happens that the, the firm I started with was very international. And I actually did take some time early on and kind of helped build a domestic market for them we did three or four courses in the u.s at that time and then uh but then i was back on the international routine and mostly asia um and then uh as i got over here at golf plan i ended up being more kind of off to europe india africa uh we still have i mean we have most of our work is in asia and um it's just it's just become kind of second nature now that you get on a plane going somewhere and uh first times it'd be nice to do a little more in the US um for various reasons but uh but I, I know Dave and I have enjoyed you know being able to go to all these places. I mean the experiences you have, the stories you have, um being able to share that with my, my daughter to give her a little more perspective on the world has been has been a pretty neat
0: thing. We're recording this podcast on a day that the PGA Tour announced that it will be playing an event in Japan beginning next year. You kind of have a global perspective. Just how global is the game at golf these days, and where do you see the opportunities for the game and the business to grow, Kevin?
1: It's interesting. I mean, what we're seeing now I think is something we have always hoped would happen more and happen sooner uh, because of our international experience. I think we figured with all this golf that we'd been building throughout Asia, especially, and and some in Europe, that there would be, the tour would have to go international at some point. There was just too much talent coming out of different areas, too much new golf being built out of other areas. And just like everything, it's, you know, the world's becoming a smaller place. Um, In fact, our our Nine Bridges project, uh, which is in the top 100, it Got, uh, I think last year was its first year as the PGA Tour event in Korea, for the first one there in that country. And then now they do the Malaysia, um, Korea, they do shishan I think it is in uh, in China. And now this Japanese one is entering the mix as well, which I think is a great, you know, it's an Asian swing, kind of like used to be the Florida swing or the West Coast swing. Now it's becoming the Asian swing and. Uh, whatnot, but um, I think it's great for golf. It's, it's, it's obviously going to create more interest in people. I think we're seeing now, you know, Asia is still the, the boom. I wouldn't say the big boom, but it's, it's still moving fairly quickly. Um, Vietnam's probably the hottest commodity right now. They've made a concerted effort as a country to take on golf tourism, kind of what Thailand set the model years ago and has continued with that model, they're still considered the best place to go for golf with choices, price, food, the whole works. You know, hotels are reasonable and they're beautiful. Uh, there's beaches. So, you know, I think Vietnam said, hey, if that's working for them, let's let's take a look at that, and right, rightly so, and I think they're going to be very successful at it. Other places, you know, we've worked in India, and India's got a lot of potential. It's always talked about, but the reality there with the land acquisition is extremely difficult Um, water incredibly hard to come by and uh, and then the bureaucracy on top of it i don't think india will ever boom there'll be a market there there'll always be a certain amount of golf getting built there but it'll never be anything like what we've seen in some of these other asian countries Uh, china was booming at one point but due to their their laws and Permitting system, it's slowed down significantly, almost to a halt, uh, with only a few things being built a year. Um, But for right now, I think Southeast Asia is still kind of leading the way. Um, I think in the future, at some point, we will see more golf in Africa. I think it's inevitable. It's kind of the last frontier, as I call it. Um, There's so much land, so much beautiful uh, spaces there. It's just a matter of Time before you know people get to it, and it's it's not there yet. Obviously, South Africa and the northern coast have all been, uh, you know, golf has been put in, but the the center of Africa and seeing a little bit Nigeria. Uh, we've we talked to some folks in Ghana, but I, I think it's coming. Whether it's ten years or twenty years out, it's hard to tell, but uh, we will see more growth there, I'm
0: sure. Is there anything the American golf industry can learn? From other parts of the world, is there something maybe you've seen on a project in another country that you'd like to implement in the United States one day?
1: It's mm, an interesting, interesting question. I uh, I'm not so sure there's anything we haven't done that we've you know that we've done overseas that we haven't done here. But I think uh, one thing for the most part is they are they do seem to be keying in on the family approach, which I think in the U.S. we are now as well. I mean, it's not just about golf. There's other amenities to go with it. Um, some countries are still more just golf. I mean, Korea is still much more a membership, uh, although that's changing into a more of a public golf market. Um, but it's not really the resorts or the other amenities and housing development type projects. Um, I do think that operationally, because of the, the changing nature of people that are taking up up the game, that they're coming from a wider background of uh, uh, cultural background or, you know, different nationalities, that the operators and the way clubs function will probably have to take on more of an international approach. Uh, Well, kind of like what you were saying about uh, uh, earlier, uh, you and I were talking about a project in Hawaii that you've been to and that they had, uh, you know, they were serving a lot of things that catered more to Uh, Asian food tastes and things like that. And those kind of things are going to become more of the clubhouse experiences, I think, just because you're going to have more of an international crowd that's participating, and that makes them feel more at home and enjoy it more and want to come back more. So I think that's where I see it more in the operational side than I do in the actual design side or, you know, from a golf architecture standpoint.
0: Kevin, what's a place you've worked where you'd really like to go back and not have to work, go back and take a vacation?
1: Vacation, that's something, that's a good, that's a new word. now. Yeah, now there's, you know, there's a lot of, um, been to a lot of, fortunately been to a lot of neat places. I mean, I I love Europe just because of the old, the history and, um, everything's so close you can get around easy. So I could, I think my family and I could easily get lost in Europe for a period of time, um, But other places where, you know, some of the clients we've got, uh, we're fortunate to get exposed to some pretty neat places. Um, The Philippines um, is an area that, I mean, just if you love diving or snorkeling, uh, wonderfully nice people, great food, um, but but the beaches and the water are phenomenal. And, And we're still looking at some other projects there and in the, you know, permitting process, on a project in Palawan Island, which has a UNESCO heritage site on, on one side. It has an underground river, cave river, that you can go into uh, that's protected by UNESCO. And, um, and we're kind of looking at a project on the other side of the island from that, that uh, they have a number of these little, you know, call them boutique resorts, but they're on these, you take a boat, you fly into an area, you take a boat 30 minutes to an hour, depending, to a little island, and they've got a self-sufficient little, you know, 50-room or 100-room facility that can range from total eco, almost like tent camp type of thing, to fairly luxurious swimming pool, full restaurant, and that kind of thing. But it's all about the, the water sports, kayaking, paddle boarding, snorkeling, uh, fishing. Um, and that, that's one that I think, you know, we talk about at home every now and then, uh, as something that would be pretty, pretty cool. But um, yeah, other than that, uh, gosh, I don't know. Those those are probably the two two main ones, Europe anywhere. And uh, yeah, we did, we did do some work in Italy and, you know, Italy's an easy one to uh, hang out for any period of time. But, uh, but outside of that, the Philippines, I think would be a neat adventure.
0: What's next for you professionally? Where do you and Dave want to take this thing five to 10 years from now? always
1: something we're kicking around. I, I I think we'll be doing more of uh, what we're doing now, but in in probably in some different areas. Like I said, I'll be on a plane next week and going to Laos for the first time. That's a little bit of a an adventure that that you know an area that uh, we haven't been before. Uh, Dave's pursuing some things in Vietnam right now that uh, you know pretty active. I. Uh, you know, I'd like to hope, you know, because you, as an architect, you know, I think everybody thinks it's um, the perception is this glamorous job. We get these beautiful linkside sites and that's how golf design works and these this kind of thing. It's really, as I'm describing, it's not that way for most of us. The sites are, they range, they vary from, some of them are gorgeous, some of them are, are very steep, some are very flat, which have, Challenges uh, in themselves, technical challenges of getting it built properly. Um, So I think, you know, the one thing that I'd like to have in the future, and I think Dave would agree, is that we'd love to have one of those sites that you dream about, a sand dune site, whether it's the Caribbean or it's the coast of Africa, um, somewhere. And I think, you know, we're fortunate that we do this work overseas. I think those kind of projects in the U.S. are gone. I mean, due to all the regulations and restrictions and, and value of land, the chances of building something on the coast in the U.S. are slim to none. Um, you know, the whole, the whole Bandon project was amazing uh, on the Oregon coast that they got that done when they did. And I think that took years of permitting and, uh, you know, reports and all sorts of things being done. But I I would like to see us get something where we could show what we could do on one of these uh, dune sites. Um, I think, you know, when you can do some pretty neat things on tough sites and you get some really successful projects on the tougher sites, it'd be nice to have one that... I wouldn't say that it's going to... I'm going to say it's easy, but one of these dune sites where you're just cutting through sand all day long, that would be fun. That would be a blast. And I would like to see us get something like that at some point in the next five years that we could really uh, kind of hang our hat on
0: okay last thing here golf plan has worked on six continents what is it going to take for you to get a project in antarctica one day
1: <laughs> you, get, you get somebody who's interested to do it we'll we'll go we'll be there that's kind of the way it's always been if uh if somebody's interested in doing something and they seriously are, are, are you know, they're they're committed, we'll get on a plane and go. I uh we would do it for sure. I uh <laughs> probably not gonna happen, but uh, you know we'd be there. It's, it's just the way we've always done things. It's um it's it's pretty neat to be able to bring golf to places for the first time. And the education process, it makes it a much bigger you're not just designing golf courses. You're kind of bringing in the golf culture and introducing people to that lifestyle. And I think more than the golf, the people that we run into are interested in the lifestyle, the, the whole thing. And um, that that's pretty neat. Because even in the U.S., I don't think we see it as much. You know, I like can you know some of the Scottish towns, you'd have putting courses right in the middle of town uh, where kids, people could go putt anytime they want. And uh, I think overseas, internationally, we're seeing more of that, people wanting the lifestyle and being associated with the game in its entirety, which is is nice.
0: Kevin, this was awesome. Thank you so much for taking some time to join us, and congrats on the journey you've taken. And I don't use that word journey lightly after hearing some of these stories. Uh, Congrats on everything you and Golf Plan have achieved, and good luck with the rest of 2018, and hopefully we get a chance to catch up again soon.
1: Sounds good, guy. Thanks for the time. Appreciate it.